Alright, let's take our Bibles out. We're going to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 46 and 47. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father and their little ones, and their wives and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry them. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came to the land of Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. And then it goes into list. So we'll skip on down to verse 28. It says, He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds. For they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from your youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil. Evil not meaning that he was corrupt or evil, but meaning that he had some hard years behind him. But few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now skip down to verse 27 of chapter 47. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Worship is a a rather versatile thing if you think about it in our lives. We're called upon to worship. In fact, you look all through the Bible, both Old Testament and New, you see one thing that God is commonly doing is gathering His people together for worship. 
We started with Abraham as we've been learning through Genesis and began a family that he is, again, doing some gathering even in this passage that we look at here. Gathering that family together and reuniting them with Joseph and, and his wife and kids. As we go on from there, it's going to go down through as they become into a great nation. There will be many times during the year that Israel will be called to gather together as a nation to celebrate God and what He does for them in their life and to look forward to the redemption that would come in Jesus Christ. And so God is commonly gathering. In fact, God even said through the covenant with Abraham that He would be reaching outside of the boundaries of Israel and blessing the entire world. So gathering the world together. And if we skip all the way to the end of the book, we see in the book of Revelation, there's a time where all of a sudden before the throne of God, there are people from every tribe and language and peoples that are gathered before God and worshiping Him there. Earlier in the New Testament, we see Jesus Christ gathering together a group of disciples that He would also call apostles and then sending them out to gather more people. And we see Him with this declaration statement that He was building His church. As the apostles went out and continued the ministry of Christ, they continued to gather people into this new entity called the church for the worship of God and for the better understanding and experiencing of His salvation. And so God is continually drawing His people together, calling His people together for worship. But you know, worship doesn't only happen when we're called together. Now, I wouldn't diminish the being called together for it because that's very clearly a part of God's will in our lives. But we can worship anywhere. We worship at major events in our lives. I think about it. I've worshipped the Lord several times as my children have come into the world and I'm just so grateful that God has, has given them to me. I worship the Lord when different events happen within my family or within my marriage or I'm just excited about experiencing those. You know, I've also worshipped God in hard times. I remember when our son Dan was born and it looked like he had a heart problem that would have to be dealt with. I remember worshipping during that as well. And thankfully, he didn't have to end up getting anything, an operation or anything. But, but we were determined that, you know what, this was a gift given to us from God. And whatever comes through this, we would experience through God and we would worship him all the way through it. Recently, even in uh, losing my father-in-law, I've worshipped through that. So I find that I worship in major events in my life. I worship in little events or even, well, you might call them non-events in my life also. I've found times maybe just driving down the road on my way home from the falls or something and a song will come on the Christian radio that will just be meaningful to me or speak to me in some way or listen to a speaker on the radio and, and, and the truth of God will cause me to worship and just reflect on the greatness of God and worship Him in that way as well. Just about every event that we participate in, the ones that are large and recognized or the ones that seem small and even insignificant, actually every time is a good time to worship. Whether we're going through a time of great joy or even a time of great sorrow, it's still a good time to worship. I'm reminded of Job. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so all these times are good times to worship. Well, as we're happening upon this passage here this morning, we're catching Jacob at a good time to worship. Jacob's at one of those big events in his life. And what do we see is his first response is to worship. When his son uh, Joseph was 17 years old, Jacob thought he died. His brothers had betrayed Joseph, sold him off into slavery, tore up his coat, dipped it in some blood, brought it home to dad and said, here's his coat. What do you think happened to him? We think a wild animal got him. And his dad wept and mourned for Joseph for a long time. So about 22 years since Jacob has seen his son Joseph. And now his sons all of a sudden come home from going to Egypt to get food during the famine. They come back and tell him Joseph is still alive. And so now Jacob gets to go see his son Joseph. Can you imagine the joy that must be there all these years that he thought he was dead? And now he finds out that Joseph is alive. And what does he do? He worships. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba. 
and offered sacrifices to the Lord God, to the God of his father Isaac. And so Jacob starts the journey, gets heading in that direction, and he stops at a place that was meaningful to him. This place is a place that Abraham had been. This is a place that Isaac also had been. This is the place that Jacob would leave from as he would flee from his brother Esau when his brother Esau wanted to kill him for stealing his birthright and his blessing. Jacob had left from there at this point, got to Bethel, and then that Bethel is where he wrestled with God. And so this place had some meaning to Jacob's life for a couple generations back. And he gets this place at Beersheba. It's a place that Isaac, his father, had built an altar before God and dug a well and worshipped God there. And that's what Jacob does. Jacob gets there and he builds this altar before God so that he can worship God and offer sacrifices there to God. Well, that's what we want to consider this morning is a good time to worship. And the reason that these are good times to worship is because of what worship does in our life. Worship accomplishes some things in our life. In fact, as we look through this passage, I see three benefits to worship that Jacob was able to experience within this passage. The first benefit that we see of worship is that in worship we experience God's peace. Notice what happens as God directs him in this. It says in verse 2, And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. And so God is telling Jacob, don't be afraid. Go ahead and go. My first thought is, why would he be afraid? Joseph is there. Joseph is second in command. Pharaoh has sent wagons with Joseph. Says, look, take all the wagons so you can haul all your father's possessions and people and everybody back here. In fact, tell him he doesn't even need to bring his stuff if he doesn't want to. we got plenty of stuff here. And so it, it can't be for fear of provision because Joseph is going to take care of him and he's in a very good place to be able to do that. It can't be because he... Not sure if he wants to see Joseph. I mean, that's a no-brainer. He definitely wants to be reunited with his son. In fact, when he does see Joseph, he says, now I can die happy. He said, now let me die because I have seen your face. He's saying, I am satisfied. I am, I'm so happy. I'm so satisfied in my life right now that I'm reunited with my son and I get to see his kids. So it can't be that he's uh, apprehensive or nervous about seeing Joseph. But what is it? Well, if you think back... You know, Joseph is the context that we immediately go to because that's more of the immediate events, the things that have just happened. But if we think back farther a little bit into his family history with going down into Egypt, remember Abraham went down into Egypt, and even though he came back out of there a wealthier man than he went in, it wasn't a very good experience. Remember, that was the place where he said to his wife, Sarah, say that you're my sister, not my wife, so that people don't want to kill me in order to take you away from me. And so it was obviously a dangerous time that he was worried about. And so Abraham's most shining moments were not in Egypt. But then when we get one generation farther up, Abraham's son Isaac also appears to be headed toward Egypt, and God stops him. He tells him, don't go down to the land of Egypt. Stay in the land that I have promised you. And so now Jacob knows Joseph's there. He's already packed up and headed there. And as he gets closer to the border, it looks like he must have some apprehension about it. He must have some fear, a little bit of anxiety about going down into Egypt. Well, it might be because he's not sure if he's supposed to go. Things didn't work out too well for Abraham when he went to Egypt. God told his father Isaac, you stay in the promised land, don't go. So what do I do? Do I go or don't go? You know, even some people studying it today have struggled with this. In fact, I've wrestled with it. Some people look at it as a failure on Jacob's part to go down into Egypt. 
They say he was supposed to stay in the promised land and endure the famine by faith, and he should have stayed in the land. Of course, arguing against that is the fact that God is telling him, don't be afraid, go down into Egypt. But the reason they say is that he did that is because Jacob already has his bags packed and the wagons loaded, and he's on his way. And just as he's on his way, God says, you know what, okay, go ahead. But I don't really think that's what's going on. And we'll get into the reasons why in the future here. But God tells Jacob at this time, don't be afraid to go down there. And why is he need to be afraid? Because he's going to be with him. I'm going to go with you. He just settles him. It reminds me of Christ with his disciples when Christ is going to go to the cross and then he's going to be resurrected from the dead. He's going to spend a little bit more time with his apostles about the next 40 days. And then he's going to ascend up into heaven. So the time is getting short. And he's gotten to the point where he's starting to tell the disciples, look, I'm not going to be with you for very long. I'm going to go into Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And then three days later, I'll rise again from the dead. And he begins to tell them, I'm not going to be with you for very long. I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to make a place for you. And then I'll come back and take you to be with me later. And the disciples at this point are confused. They're afraid. And you know what Jesus continues to wish upon them? Peace. He keeps telling them, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, we've got things in hand. It's going to be okay. Be at Be at peace. That's exactly what God is doing with Jacob at this point. Jacob builds an altar and starts to worship God. And in his worship of God, he gets to experience the peace of God. You know, I also think of David. In David, as you read through the Psalms, you find that David oftentimes is in a place of fear. He's a, oftentimes he's in a place of anxiety or hardship. Maybe his enemies are pursuing him. And sometimes his enemies were even from among his own sons. His enemies are pursuing him for his life. There's times of David's life when he hid in a cave in order to be able to stay alive. But a lot of those psalms that find David in a stressful situation, we find that by the end of the psalm, David is rejoicing and singing praise to God, worshiping God. And what's the difference? The difference is at some point during that struggle, David, as he begins to cry out to God, at first in anxiety and stress, he gets a glimpse of who God is how much bigger God is than his problems. And as he worships God, he ends up experiencing the peace of God in his own heart, which results in the praise of God by the end of the psalm. And so even though his circumstances haven't changed, his internal circumstances within his heart have because he's experienced the peace of God as he's worshipped God. Well, that's what's happening with Jacob. Jacob is heading toward Egypt. And there's something not quite sitting right with him about it. I think, it, like I said, I think it's from his past. There's something not quite sitting right with it. And what does God do? God comes and brings him peace. You know, it's that same kind of peace that we get to experience as we worship God when we go through good times or bad. I think of John chapter 14 and verse 27. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus, one of his things that he really wanted for his disciples as they would go through a tough time was that they would not be afraid, but they would be at peace and experience the peace of God. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he'd go on to say, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, the reason that we can have this kind of peace, we find in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was doing for us when he went to that cross, was he was purchasing the peace of God for us. He was paying the penalty so we could have peace with God, that we would no longer be at enmity with God, but would be friends of God. 
in Romans chapter 15 and verse 33, the Apostle Paul is getting close to the end of the letter to the Romans. And he just gives them this wish. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. In every one of Paul's epistles, he starts out by wishing peace upon the people that he's writing to. Some of the people that he was writing to would be people that would be in areas where they were experiencing persecution. In fact, a lot of them would be. Where they would be going through hardships because of their faith. And one of the things that Paul was concerned for them about was that they wouldn't be afraid, that they wouldn't be too anxious, that they would experience the peace of God in their relationship with him, even in those tough situations. Both of Peter's epistles start out by wishing peace upon the people that would read those epistles as well. So the peace of God is definitely something that God wants us to experience within our lives. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, the apostle would write about the fruit that the Spirit produces in our life as we walk in step with him. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are works that the Holy Spirit creates in us. As we walk close to Christ and yield to the Holy Spirit, He produces these within our lives. And one of those things listed in there is peace. The Apostle Paul, when he was sitting in prison, writing the letter to the Philippians, he said in chapter 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, we have the whole process laid out for us right in that passage. The Apostle Paul starts by saying, look, don't be anxious. Don't be stressed. Don't be worried. Does that do it? Does that fix it for you? (laughs) When you're worried, if somebody just tells you, well, don't be worried. Oh, okay. All right. I'll forget all about that. (laughs) That doesn't go away that easy, does it? But there is something that will change it. He says, don't be anxious about everything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. What, what is that? Worship. Worshiping. He says, don't keep it to yourself. Bring it to God. And then what happens? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, and it does. You've experienced this. When there's something stressful that's going on in your life that you're wrestling with, and you bring it to God, and after you brought it to God, after you spent that little bit of time worshiping, you have this peace. You still don't know how things are going to turn out. You're not in any different circumstance than you were at the beginning before you prayed to God. No different circumstance than when you were worrying about it and keeping it to yourself. But all of a sudden, you're at peace. The turmoil has gone. The stress is gone. What's happened? As you've worshipped God, you've experienced the peace of God. And there's really no other explanation for it. God just brings that into our hearts. And that's what happens with Jacob. Jacob's about ready to head down into Egypt. It was a mistake for Abraham. It was forbidden to Isaac. And he's about to go there. God says, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Experience my peace. That's what came from his worship. Well, secondly, we also see we experience God's presence. Because that's what God confirms to him there. He says, don't worry because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go down into Egypt with you and I'm going to bring you back out. We've seen that in his life before. In Genesis chapter 28... It says in verses 13 through 15, And behold, the Lord stood above it. That's talking about the ladder. Remember the, when Jacob first left, fleeing from his brother Esau? He goes to sleep that night and he, he sees this vision of this ladder, Jacob's ladder that goes up into heaven. And we talked about how that was a picture of Christ and the pathway up into heaven. Well, that's the it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, that ladder, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie... I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. You see, when Jacob was first leaving home, heading off out to to Laban's place to, to try to make a different life for himself, fleeing from his brother Esau who wanted to kill him, God comes to him and he says the same thing there. Don't worry. Where you're going right now, I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to prosper you, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bring you back. Jacob says, wow, if you're going to do all that for me, you're my God. Absolutely, I'll follow you. And then when he is at Laban's for a time, and ends up finally, it's time to come home, God tells him, now it's time to go home, let's go home. I'm going with you there too. And then Jacob reminds God, now remember, (laughs) remember now he's got to go back to Esau. He's going to bump into Esau, and he knows it. And he's like, God, now remember, you told me when you brought me out of here that you were going to watch over me, keep me safe, prosper me. You're going to be bring me back to this land, continuing to watch over me, keep me safe, prosper me. Because now Esau's coming. And of course, God watches over him and prospers him. And so now God is doing the same thing with Jacob again. Now Jacob is in that land, and he's about to leave it to go down to Egypt. And God says, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to go with you. You know, that is supposed to be a great encouragement in our lives that in all the places that we go and all the things that we do and the experiences that we go through in our lives that God is with us. In fact, we see that used directly in uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. He tells the people in their, in their relationship to money, keep your life free from the love of money. Money is a good servant, but it's a terrible master. Money is necessary for some things, but it's not everything. And that's what he wants these people to know. Well, how can they not cling to the one thing that seems to be able to provide? What does money provide for us? Money provides for us shelter. Money provides for us food. Money provides for us uh, enjoyments. Money provides for us a lot of different things, but actually money provides for us nothing because it's God who provides that for us. And so he's trying to make sure that they have their mindset straight. Don't get focused on the money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You You don't have to worry about that. But keep your focus on God. And why? Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can't always see the light at the end of the tunnel. With the situations that we go through in life, we don't always know what's coming up around the corner. But we know the one who knows. And you know what? While we go up around the corner, he's not going to lag behind. While we're looking for the light at the end of the tunnel, he is the light at the end of the tunnel. And so we can trust him. We don't have to fret over money. We don't have to fret over circumstances. We don't have to fret over, we shouldn't be fretting over anything. We should be bringing all that stuff to God in worship. And God says, I'm with you. We've got this. Why could David stand up against Goliath? It's because David would say to him, you come at me with spears. I come at you with God. And David didn't see any spear, any weapon as a match for God. He knew God wouldn't leave him. And it's the same with us. God is not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. It's okay. Where do we experience that? Well, in one sense, we experience it all the time. Whether I mean, it's just there. God is with us all the time. That's his statement. The problem is we often don't believe that or we often don't recognize that. When I go to God and worship and all of a sudden recognize the presence of God in the situation, where was God the moment before that? You know what? He was there. It wasn't that he wasn't there. He He said, I'll never forsake you. He was there. The problem is I don't see it. I don't see his presence at that point. But when I worship, when I bring these things up in prayer to God, now I'm aware of his involvement. Now I'm aware of his presence with me in that situation. And that makes all the difference in the world. You see, worship doesn't bring the presence of God. What worship does is helps us experience the presence of God. 
And that's actually the same with all three of these things. Worship doesn't bring God's peace either. It helps us experience God's peace because God's peace is already provided for us. We just need to experience it. Then also, lastly, we experience God's persistence. God is persistent. He doesn't relent. He doesn't give up. And that's what we see spilled out throughout the rest of this part of this passage here. Is that with Jacob, what is God basically doing? He's not really doing anything different than he did with Isaac. He's not really doing anything different than he did with Abraham. He's doing the same. The same thing he did with Abraham is the same thing he did with Isaac is the same thing that he did with with Jacob. While you're down in Egypt, I'm going to make you into a great nation. In other words, this time of Jacob leaving the promised land, because remember that was part of God's promise too, is the land. This time of Jacob leaving the promised land was not going to be, it wasn't going to be a hiccup in God's program. It wasn't going to catch God off guard. This is all part of God's plan. God told Abraham up front that this was part of his plan. In chapter 15, it says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. It was God's plan that Israel would actually grow from being a family to a nation within the nation of Egypt. They would grow best as a family, not in the land of plenty, but in a time of hardship. But you see, God tells Jacob at this time, he just reconfirms the covenant. In fact, we get to see different elements of that. He says, whoever blesses you, I will bless. And we see that. What does Jacob do once he gets there? He blesses Pharaoh. And when you think about it, Pharaoh is already being blessed by the nation of Israel, by the people of Israel, because Joseph is there. Because Joseph is there managing his stuff, God was blessing Pharaoh and the whole nation of Egypt because of Joseph's involvement there. Those who bless you, I will bless. The whole world will be blessed through you. Literally, the whole world was being blessed through the descendants of Abraham, through the descendants of Jacob, by Joseph being there in the land and delivering the land from the famine. And so we see other parts of the world other than Abraham's family already starting to be blessed because of God having Jacob's family, Jacob's descendants reach out. So it's just parts of the fulfillment of the covenant that he's already promised to him. And then the promise, you're going to turn into a great nation. Jacob's family goes down into Egypt and how many people are there? Seventy. When they come out under Moses, it's going to be a couple of million. The family of Israel is going into Egypt as a family and coming out as a nation. God would use this time to build and to prosper the people of Israel. Now, would it all be easy times? No. That's a common theme that we see through Scripture. It would not all be easy times. Just as it wasn't an easy time for Israel, it wasn't an easy time for God's Son when He sent Jesus either. Remember in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, it says that the Holy Spirit guided Jesus, led Him out into the wilderness for the purpose of being directly tempted by Satan himself. I wouldn't call that a very easy time. But before God would get His Son rolling in His ministry, He would have Him tested. He would have Him pushed. The nation of Israel would wander in the wilderness for 40 years, even after leaving Egypt, before getting to go into the Promised Land. In their time of wilderness testing, partly because they've failed it so many times. But And then also, again, when we bounce it out to the big picture, just as God, under the prophet Hosea, would say, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. When Moses goes in, let my people go, brings the children of Israel out of Egypt. When God has Moses do that, he says, out of Egypt I've called my son. And then we see that fulfilled, Matthew tells us, in Christ. Christ's life was threatened by Herod. 
So God tells Joseph to take the child and the family and go to Egypt where he'll be safe. And then when Herod dies, God tells Joseph, bring him back to Israel. And they quote that passage from Hosea. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. And so all this is just fitting perfectly. It's God working his plan in this situation. But as God works his plans in our situations of life, what is our response? It ought to be to worship. As we said, worship doesn't create these things. It doesn't create the peace of God. It doesn't create the the presence of God. He's already there. He's not leaving you. It doesn't create His persistence. He is faithful, whether we're faithful or not. But you know what it does? It helps us to experience all three of those, which makes a world of difference in here, in our hearts.